May we have your attention, please? In a previous episode of our podcast, we talked about the 1988 Clapham accident. It was the first in a series about what we can learn from previous accidents that will help us stop them happening again. May 2022 was the 20th anniversary of another serious accident on the Mainline Railway at Potter's Bar. With me again to talk about that accident and what we must learn from it is Greg Morse. Greg, welcome back to the RSSB podcast. Can we get straight into the detail of what happened at Potter's Bar? Thank you, Aaron. Uh, Yes, indeed. We're talking about the 10th of May, 2002. And as you can imagine, and as is usual in these cases, that day began like any other day, with countless trains arriving and departing from countless stations. One of them, the 1245 Kings Cross Kings Lynn, was making good progress despite an emergency speed restriction near Hornsey. The speedometer was back up in 97 miles an hour as the train struck 2182A points. Up ahead, Kilo 539 signal flickered from green to red to green. At about the same time, there was a lurch followed by a series of sharp jolts. The jolts had suggested a mechanical problem, but a brake application plus the fact that all the interior lights went out on the train, the driving desk lost power and the cab secure radio went dead, suggested something worse. The train came to a stand about 250 yards past Potter's bus station. Both the driver and the signal inspector riding with him looked back. The driver could see the worst of it. We're off the road, he said, before taking two track circuit clips and climbing down to apply them to the down slow and up fast lines. And this was just before 1300. And what had happened was that the points had moved under the train, causing the rear bogey of the third coach and all the wheels on the fourth to derail. The latter became detached and crossed to the adjacent line before flipping into the air crashing into the station and striking the parapet of the bridge over Dark's Lane. Masonry debris showered down to the road below. The carriage then mounted the platform sliding along it before coming to rest under the canopy at 45 degrees. Six passengers were killed, but someone else was killed too, a woman not on the train but who would be forever associated with it. She'd been struck by the debris from the bridge. Her name was Agnes Quinlan. Thank you, Greg, for describing the incident. Could you now tell us about what errors were made that might have led to the accident? Yes, it's quite a convoluted story. In fact, at first, there were theories of sabotage put around amongst rail staff and in some of the press. These were soon laid to rest by investigation, and it became apparent from the inquiries that the points had indeed moved under the train, but because the bolts that held the stretcher bars, they'd either come loose or gone missing, which basically meant we lost gauge, meant that the uh, stretcher bars could move apart. The lock stretcher bar had been subject to fatigue stresses and eventually failed as the train passed over, and further investigation found that heavy and constant vibrations on the bolts caused them in turn to vibrate and oscillate until the retaining nuts actually worked off in some cases. As with the Clapham accident, which you referred to earlier, there were also elements of change management at play here. The point had been installed in 1994 as part of a programme to relay all crossovers in the Potter's Bar area. The specific design of the points included adjustable stretcher bars, and this had been introduced earlier in the decade principally to overcome previous design problems involving flat plates being drilled on site to give the required stretcher bar length. Once installed, these bars were not intended to require adjustment at all. The investigations, however, cast some doubt on whether that intention had been achieved. And worse still, the adoption of adjustable stretcher bars, quote-unquote, incorporated a reduction in the number of load-bearing stretcher bars in the points to two, 
but no assessment appears to have been made of the impact of the load sharing on the rest of the points in the event of one of those stretcher bars failing. So, Greg, you've just talked about whether or not the stretcher bar, adjustable stretcher bars needed maintenance. Could you expand on the maintenance program and what may or may not have failed there? Yes, at the time, there were, in fact, two separate systems for the inspection and maintenance of the points of this type, one involving permanent way personnel, the other involving signalling staff. While this alone probably was enough to blur the roles and responsibilities, there also appeared to have been no guidance or instructions issue for setting up, inspecting or maintaining this kind of point. But something else had changed in the 90s, and that was the great rise in the use of contractors in rail infrastructure maintenance. It's not that the use of contractors is inherently unsafe, wrote the health and safety executive, more that to ensure robust safety standards are achieved, the use of contractors must be carefully managed by a knowledgeable client who understands and can deal with the added complexity involved. Now, as the Hatfield accident showed us, and we may come back to that in a future podcast, Railtrack, the infrastructure manager of the time, could not in any way be called a knowledgeable client, its seam of expert staff having been worn paper thin during privatisation in the belief that outsourcing was best. Thank you very much for that, Greg. I look forward to our Hatfield conversation at a future date. It's been 20 years since the Potter's Bar accident. How have we progressed in terms of mitigating or even eliminating some of those causal factors? One of the things we can do better, which we are doing better, is acting on reports received. The points that failed at Potter's Bar had been fully inspected on the 1st of May that year. A further visual inspection the day before the accident found no issues. That evening, though, a station announcer heading home reported a rough ride south of Potter's Bar after travelling over the down fast line. His report was misunderstood and led to a permanent waiting being sent to the up fast in error. Now, unsurprisingly, they found nothing amiss. So we've beefed up how we deal with reports of that kind, but we've also recognised that useful reports don't only come from members of staff. After the fatal tram derailment at Sandyland in November 2016, which caused the deaths of, of seven people tragically, evidence came to light that there had been a number of customer complaints of harsh, heavy or sudden breaking in that area. However, these reports were not detailed enough and could not be categorised to identify the risk of overspeed on curves, which is what happened at the Sandy Lands. Now, as a result of that, the RAIB investigation underlined an underlying factor, if you like, that we weren't learning from customer complaints, as they called it. Now, just like us in the industry, we in the industry, regular rail travellers use the network, and if they spot something, we should make it easy for them to highlight the issue, and we should have mechanisms in place to respond. So RSSB undertook a project to collect, review, and summarise good practice in this area, and those findings have now been published, and the results can be found on our website. It's called Managing Safety-Related Contacts for Members of the Public, and it really does make some very useful suggestions of what we can all do to act on reports to try to stop sandy lands and try to stop the potter's bars from happening again. Nowadays, point faults account for around 30% of the risk from trap asset integrity, and that figure has been relatively stable over recent years. The Cross-Industry Asset Integrity Group is also working to raise the awareness of the part that infrastructure and rolling stock issues can play in the causal chains of accidents. And I think the silo is evident from the inquiries into Potter's Barsha how much more important it is to listen, understand and work together when there's an interface, whether this be between operators and infrastructure maintainers, different maintainers, 
or different departments in large organisations. We need clarity, scope of accountability and assurance that the right things are being done right. Greg, thank you very much for summing that all up very nicely. You've mentioned some of the research work we've done, the work that the Asset Integrity Group is going to be doing in the future, and we will have a series of podcasts on Asset Integrity Features later in this year. But for now, Greg, thank you very much for giving us details of the Potter's Bar accident and the lessons we need to learn, particularly about collaboration and cooperative and standardized practices when we do that maintenance. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. And in the meantime, stay safe. 